Believe Inside the ACC with Jay Graham. I'm David Gascon. Thanks for joining us again. Jay, a brand new week of college football. It is week number 13 college football. The playoffs are right around the corner, but I have to digress for a moment because we had a little bit of a tragedy for one Florida State football player, Jordan Travis, done for the season. If you did not get a chance to look at him when he did against North Alabama, I don't suggest you go watch it on social media, but it's out there for the masses. But man, what a tough blow! What a tough blow for the Seminoles. It, it's tough to believe a team that's been so good for this season. They continue to get better week in and week out. But one run, one play call for them, obviously done for the season. Well, I'm gonna start off prayers out to Jordan Travis and his family. That young man is a true Seminole. Um, this all the plays. I don't know if you ever saw that interview where he talked about how much he wanted to be a Seminole. And when the new coaching staff came in and what he said to them about how I'll play anything, you know, whatever you want me to play, receiver, whatever, to, to be here and be a Florida State Seminole. That, 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 that is key, you know, when we're talking about him. And then on the flip side, if I send a tweet out, because, because this is how I am as a coach, if we're going into that game, okay, I'm looking at it as a coaching staff. We're talking about how many, how many minutes, how many plays are we going to play our players, right, and what we're going to do with them. Um, if I'm talking about Jordan Travis, the first thing that I'm going to say is don't run the ball, right? We don't need to hit him to scramble, but, but second off, I don't need him, us to manufacture running plays for the quarterback. And that play was man, manufactured for the, for the quarterback. I don't know if it's popular to say, because we all are in college football, we're grieving for that young man. But I don't understand the thought process of, pulling guys around to lead block for your quarterback, who is your team, okay, in a game against North Alabama where you need to work on a lot of things. He's run the ball a lot. And we can say he could get hurt on any one of those plays. But the fact is he got hurt against North Alabama, okay, you know, in a game that matters, yeah, if they lose it, but they're not going to lose that game. But you may have lost your season. And let's be honest, uh, uh, Travis, you know, less football team, Florida State football team is is a lot less uh, marketable to the college football playoff committee. Let's just be honest right now. And, and, and it doesn't matter if they win every game, but it puts them in jeopardy of winning every game. They still got to go play against Florida, right, which is a rivalry in itself. And Florida has a good football team with a, with a starting quarterback, you know. And, yes, the next quarterback can come in and play play very well, but let's just be honest about what we're looking at now. You know, this is a difficult thing. This is going to affect them with the college football playoff committee. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So Tate Roadmaker came in for him. He played okay. I mean, it was fine. They, they blew the doors off in of North Alabama. And as you mentioned it, they were going to win that game anyway. But regardless, Roadmaker's only played in a handful of games four years into his collegiate career at the junior. He's going to have to take the reins now. So he's got Florida on deck. And then he's got Louisville around the corner in the ACC championship game. But to push back a little bit, Jay, just because I have to do it, you being sure. a former player, you know this all too well, is that injuries are a part of the game. And so mm-hmm. I can appreciate your stance on this because, yeah, a design run for a quarterback against a team that you should drub by 35 or 42 points is one thing. But, you know, we have the luxury, if you will, to play that Monday morning quarterback. And hindsight's 22. But if protection ever broke down against Jordan Travis and you have a defensive tackle or defensive end, diving at his knees and he tears an ACL or some pass protection breaks down. He gets hit from the backside and tears his rotator cuff. Where's your stance on that? I mean, we can remember 
years ago. I know, obviously, it's a little bit different of a beast, but in the National Football League, Bernard Pollard took out Tom Brady's knee, torn ACL, he's done for the year, and Matt Castle comes in and plays admirably well. They win 10 games in that season. But regardless, when you're in a quarterback and you're playing in such a prized position, you're going to take your lumps no matter where it is. And so I don't know if it makes it any more gut-wrenching to the Seminole fans, but whether it happens against North Alabama or it happens against Florida or it happens against Louisville in the ACC championship game, I, I think the, regardless of what happens to him in that instance, it's an injury that you really can't question after the fact because I feel like you tell a guy not to play and to do what he does as a quarterback who's a dual-threat guy, you just take the instinct of a, of a quarterback like this out of out of what he typically does. And he's done it all season. So it, it's hard for me to fathom taking this guy and putting him in a different element when, he, when you say, hey, you need to be careful right now. We want to wrap you in bubble wrap because we need to preserve you for Florida or we need to preserve you for the ACC title game. I just don't think you can play like that. Well, that's fine. You can't play like that. And if he had got hurt throwing a pass because the guard missed a tackle, missed a block, I, I'm good with that. If he got hurt because he scrambled on a pass play, I'm good with that. But if you are manufacturing a run play, okay, for Jordan Travis in a game against North Alabama that you're going to win by 40, right, I'm not okay with that. I don't think – I think that's a bad idea. I think that is not a good idea. And whoever coached it needs to be answering questions all week about that. You know, and I just don't – I thought it was terrible. You know, that's the one thing that we talked about last week. We talked yeah. about this. We, you don't do it. You just don't go and throw a quick game, you know. You need to work on that, right? You need to work on, you know, not run him running the ball because that's what he does, right? You need to work on your RPO, right? That's an extension of the quarterback run. You can run little cheat plays where, where you know, you give it to the tailback running out the backside. You can do so many different things as a coach and a play caller. Why manufacture a run for your quarterback and put yourself at that much risk? Is it is it worth that reward? You know, is it worth it for him to be 10 yards downfield trying to fight for extra yards, right? Travis is who it, Jordan is who he is, right? But I won't give him the ammunition to hurt himself, you know? He's going to fight. He's a warrior. He's going to fight for that extra yard. We know who he is, but let's not put him in that situation. That's That's yeah. my only point. And, yeah, I, and no, I take your point is taken, you know, and I get it, but I'm not going to give my warrior all the ammunition to go out there and fight for the extra yards and get himself hurt. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm there with you, Hatton. I, I think if you put a quarterback in a vulnerable, vulnerable position like that, you're asking for problems. And, and I can't help but think with a guy in Aaron Rodgers that tore his Achilles, you know, a handful of plays yes. in the season. So these things can happen to these guys yes, at any can. given time out of the year. Um, it does shape things a little bit differently with the college football playoff. I mean, obviously, you have Michigan, you have Ohio State, you have Washington. You're going to have a handful of teams still vying for those top four spots. Florida State is in that contention right now, but they have Louisville on deck. And for argument's sake, let's say they do lose to Louisville in the ACC championship game. You're going to have Oregon and Washington meet again in the Pac-12 title game. I got to imagine the winner of that contest would immediately leapfrog Florida State when it comes to a college football playoff, unless, of course, something drastic happens and and Tate Roadmaker just obviously lights the, the world on fire and propels Florida State to a perfect regular season. Well, you know, that's that's now you're into a difficult thing because let's be honest, 
No one wants to see Michigan in the college football playoffs. <laughs> I don't know about that. Nobody, think, except everybody, Michigan everybody, fans. Everyone needs you know, a good villain, though, right? Yeah, yeah that's, that's too much of a villain, villain right there. Just a real villain. Nobody wants to see it, you know? I don't know that the Big Ten wants to see them in there. I mean, I think it's a black eye to college football, and let's just be honest. No one wants it, you know, other than Michigan fans and, and Harbaugh, you know? He wants it, you know? And I'm just like, stop with the jokes, Har- Harbaugh. I don't want to hear any more of your jokes, you know? About your mom in a bathing suit. Come on, you know? We don't need any. It's not funny, okay? You know, that's the hard thing. You know, I know he wants to be lighthearted about this thing, but it's not a good look. And Michigan being in the college football playoffs, it's not a good look. You know, and that's the, that's the thing that um might be Florida State saving grace in this situation. I mean, you know, because if you look at the two, I'd rather have a, tra- you know, a Jordan Travis-less uh, Florida State team, you know, in the college football playoffs than Michigan, you know. And, and that's the toughest thing this weekend. Ohio State needs to win this game. They need to win this game for college football because if Michigan wins, you know, Ohio State is in and probably Michigan is in. You know, yeah. just looking at the, you know, um, the layout and the terrain in college football right now. It's big, big game where Washington went out and, and, and won against Oregon State because I picked that game. I'm like, Oregon State's going to win this game. It was yeah. rainy. <laughs> it was nasty in Corvallis. They were ready to play. But it just shows the grit that uh, Washington has. I didn't know that. I didn't know their defense was that tough. You know, they go out there and shut down that running back, Martinez, that was running up and down the field against them. You know, they shut them down. And they shut them down at the end and went and won that game by two points. I mean, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting going into this uh, to the end here. And how about Virginia? Huh? I know I'm bringing up something else, guys, man, but Virginia, we talked about Virginia last week, man. We root for that team. Inspiring performance and a win over a Duke team that's really struggled with some injuries. Yeah. We know that. But Virginia is coming to play now. Yeah. They are coming to play. Yeah, I was going to say, Malik Washington's been a fine player for Virginia all season long. He's been like yes. probably one of their saving graces. So, you just can't help but think there's some perennial playmakers on the outside that are going to have good notoriety as the season goes in the postseason. Obviously the NFL draft is right around the corner, but yeah, shout out to Virginia bouncing back and, and beating Duke. Um, thinking about this just for a minute, because you mentioned it obviously with Washington and Oregon state, it's kind of a defining moment for a quality team, right? Where you can not have your Heisman trophy winner, potentially a winner and Michael Penix not play a good brand of football, but they still use their defense to get the job done on the road and winning by two. When you look at this, based on what Florida State has done this season, it's not just been the Jordan Travis show, mm-hmm. but he's had guys in the backfield, Toafili, Benson, guys on the outside, but the defense has been strong as well. And, and I feel like they don't have many voids, not only in the defensive line, but in the secondary. Are they good enough to win a playoff game without Jordan Travis? I think they are, you know, just for the uh, reasons that you stated. I mean, they're strong defensive front, defensive line. Coach Odell Hayden Hagens has been there, I don't know, 30 years, you know. He's, he's as good as they get, you know, and he got that defensive front playing ball. Those linebackers are playing football. Those DBs are hard to get, get passes on. So, you know, they're strong. They're overall a strong team, but we all know what, what who was the catalyst, who was the leader, who made plays when no one else could, you know. 
And um, that's going to be the key going forward. I think they have enough to beat Florida. They have enough to beat Louisville, you know, but Louisville is going to be a tough one to stop. And they, they want a tough game, you know, against Miami. I was rooting for Miami, you know, just because those kids fight so hard and get down to the last minute and can't push, push beyond to win that game. But, you know, um, I think Florida State has everything that it takes. And if they win those games, they should be in the college football playoff. But we know how the committee is. You know, they're going to look at all those things. They're going to look at the fact that they don't they don't have Jordan Travis in that football game. You know, and is this the right team to put in the top four? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting conversation when we get down there in a couple of weeks. But, yeah, it's a perfect segue because Louisville, I, I think that was one of the, the brassiest games I've seen them play this season. And Jack Plummer was pretty darn good. He wasn't perfect, but he was nearly clean. He had three touchdown passes in the game, one INT. Louisville wins it at Miami, 38-31. And for Plummer, yeah, 308 yards passing. I think for all intents and purposes, that was not only the most important game of the season for Plummer and Louisville, but I think it gives them a golden opportunity now because they get Kentucky next week before the ACC championship game. They could really do themselves a favor by beating an SEC opponent and then taking care of business in the ACC title game. I guess my question to you is this, is if they went out prior to a bowl game, how high do you think they can go? Because they're 10th now in the nation. You know, I think um, if you look at it, um, I see them getting somewhere around the top six, right? I don't think they can get higher than that. You know, I think they're um, just because who they lost to. We all know that. You know, I mean, you can't have that game, you know, and Pitt, Pitt just spoils everybody's day, man. You know, and, and that's a tough game to lose, you know, and I don't think they can come back from that. And that's the difference. It, it's, their schedule does not allow that, you know. If they were to beat a Florida State team, I think they jump up right outside the top four. And um, I just think if you look at the his, you know, the, the, the games that the other teams have played, you know, they're not going to get in there before Alabama. You know, and I think Alabama's going to beat Georgia. Just looking at it, you know, but Georgia is as good as any team. But I think Alabama is in position, and a one-loss Georgia team go is going to go. A one-loss yeah. Georgia team is going to go. So if Alabama beat Georgia, they're both going to go. They're going to be in the college football playoff, which throws a wrench in everything, you know. And yeah. um, that's a difficult thing. Um, you know, Washington still has Washington State to finish. You know, Washington State is a tough game. That's always the Apple Cup is going to be a tough game, you know, yeah. for them. So. You know, it's it's a lot a lot of football still left here with the championship games and uh, rivalry week coming up here. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving turkey. You know, I'm gonna be watching these games, watching and eating. You know, I'm on a diet right now, gas man. So I can't, I can't, I can't eat too much. Okay, I'm gonna have to go well, run it off. Huh? See, here's here's the key for you though. If you're eating too much, especially with Thanksgiving right around the corner, here's the trick: is that depending on your sleep schedule. I know you probably don't have a great sleep schedule since you're nah, so busy no. throughout the day. But listen, if you can if you could knock out at least eight hours worth of sleep, at least eight, and you can not eat for the first three or four hours during the middle of the morning, that's an eleven hour window, maybe even a twelve hour window. See, I know we talked a little bit off the air about fasting. You can mix and match a little intermittent fasting throughout the day. You'll feel I gotta talk to you about this. <laughs> you know, gas man, yeah, I wake up when I'm hungry. Right you know what I'm saying? I'd be like four hours, I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. My stomach will wake me up, okay? So yeah. we'll talk about this off the air a little bit more, but I'm I gotta get into this thing, man, because I need it, okay? I need Nothing it. I can't gain that. that. I can't gain that holiday twenty, okay? 
but listen, because we can talk about it right now, but think about it. When are you most hungry? It's probably when you're either static and sitting down or when you're not busy, right? All day. Keep yourself busy. Keep yourself moving. You're not thinking about food. So anyways, we'll uh, we'll talk about that as the, as the week goes along. But I wanted to hit you up real quick about North Carolina and Clemson. I didn't think this was going to be as low scoring as it was for North Carolina. But I, I hate saying this because I think about quarterbacks not only this year, but in years past. With Drake May, you can't afford to play just as good as Klubnik and think your team's going to win the football game. And he did not. I mean, you look at their their body work in that contest, their stats were, were nearly identical. I mean, May had 209 yards passing, a touchdown, an INT. Klubnik, 219 yards passing, a touchdown, and an INT. But I feel like you have quarterbacks that are upper echelon, and they have the ability to bail out either a mediocre, mediocre offense or a subpar defense. And I don't feel like we've gotten that at all from Drake May throughout this season. I, I feel like if you're a Tar Heels fan, I feel like you you got to feel like this season is disappointed because w- with the way that he has been heralded as maybe even a top pick over Caleb Williams, I just don't buy it. I don't see it this season. We can go back to the days of Matt Leiner. We can go to Vince Young. We could go to Deshaun Watson, Bryce Young, whoever it may be. Those top-tiered quarterbacks always found a way to take their team out of a hole and put them up top. I mean, you could go back to the national championship season of LSU and Joe Burrow. That dude was operating in a telephone booth and chaos was surrounding him, but he always found a way. And with Drake May, I never saw it. Well, what's the difference? If you're a great quarterback, you better have great receivers to throw to. And I think that's the key. He is a great quarterback, but I don't think he has the same receiving rooms as, as a Burrow, right? I don't think he has the same room around as some of these other guys, you know, as Bryce Young had. I mean, that's the difference, you know. And and give Clemson's young DBs and all those guys credit. They've developed these young men to a high level, and now this is a different Clemson team. Is it, did this Clemson team start it this way, right, and had those guys develop? We'd be talking about them in the college football playoff. Because the culture is there. You can tell when the culture is there, these guys get better and better as a year room. They went through their bumps. But I'm going to tell you what, Dabo is back. That team is back. And you can see in years going forward, they got through adversity. And that that's hats off to that staff because that is something that's very difficult to do. You know, so they've, they've, they've gotten to a level where we all knew this was going to be a tough game. These guys, I mean, Clemson's defense is ready to play some football. You know, and they're going to go, you know, through the rest of their games. South Carolina, they got, they're going to have some troubles going against Clemson, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then they're going to go to the bowl game and win this game, and we're going to be talking about them in the 2024 season. I would I would rank them in the top ten to start. Yeah, I think my signature play for Clemson, if you had to have, like, some kind of montage and buildup, nothing that Will Shipley's done, nothing that Phil Moffa's done or Klubnik has done, but I think the chase down from Nate Wiggins over the mm. weekend – when he caught Amari on Hampton after that 64-yard scamper to the end zone, he stripped him at the one-foot line. I think you put that as your bulletproof identity of your team this season yes. to say, when you dudes like this, that guy showed up. Because you think about it, North Carolina was up in that game 7-0. Hampton gets in the end zone, it's 14-zip there. Complete swing, and they won the game by 11 points. I think that you could do something like that if you're Wiggins. That just echoes what your team means in terms of effort, hustle, and desire. 
And yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I know that people are taking shots at Clemson this year because they've had a down year compared to everybody else in the, in the ACC that's had those high expectations. But that's what happens when you're starting to build a culture and build freshmen, sophomores, and even juniors that don't see a lot of playing time. That's it. You know, and the, and the straining effort it took on that play is, yes, we got beat on this play, but keep straining. Seven seconds of strain to finish a football play. He didn't yeah. know what was, what was going to happen by running to that play. Marion may not have been running his full speed the whole time, kind of let up a little bit at the end. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of football that that's championship football. And that is taught. That is taught on the practice fields. And that's the key to these young guys developing to the point where they understand why. Why do we lose? You know, and that's the first thing. And then you you understand how you win and why you win. And that's the key. Like you said, that should be the video clip that's shown every single week before they play to show that that, that here is here is the 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 consequences of not doing what you're supposed to do but here's yeah. here's what the, here's the um the gifts and things that can happen if you do strength so excited yeah. about them going forward in the future man it, it, that's the one thing the eye in the sky does not lie so as a player no you know too well as a coach you're looking at these guys nfl scouts look at this these tapes all the damn time and when you're talking about offensive coordinators defensive coordinators or head coaches they they earmark certain things like that. And you hit the nail right in the head with a guy like Wiggins because it doesn't matter if, if Hampton's going full speed or not. But when you're clearly behind him by 10 yards and you catch up just before he gets into the end zone, I mean, that, that tells you a lot about that man. Um, speaking of another man, I need to close up shop with you on this one. Syracuse makes a change. Dino Babers is out. He was 41-55 and 55 as head coach of Syracuse, but he's gone. I know there's conversations about how are you going to replace certain people across the country? Obviously, Jimbo Fisher is out at uh, Texas A&M. Um, curious as your take on this with the ACC. And given that Syracuse has not been a team that many people talk about, um, you have to go back. I feel like you have to go back to the Donovan McNabb days yes. uh, playing in the Carrier Dome when Syracuse was relevant. How do they fix this thing and who would you go after? Well, I think someone's going to lose a really good offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, right? But if you look back at, at, at all the days, you know, of um, that story history at Syracuse, it was always built by just tough, hard-nosed head coaches. You know, and, you know, that's what they need to find. You know, I don't think um, a guy like uh, Mike Elko is a guy like a hard-nosed yeah. coach, right? that cuts his teeth on playing hard-nosed defense, right, and, but still being explosive on offense. They have to find that type of guy, and, and that's a difficult thing. There may be a defensive coordinator or, or, you know, of some type right there that's in the SEC or in the ACC. You know, you look at, you know, guys who are up for the uh, Brawls Award, you know. Ron English has done a phenomenal job over there at, um, you know, at Louisville, you know, him and he's code DC, but you can see his, his, his footprint and his mark on that defense and how they play football. You know, um, there's several guys out there, I think, you know, that's going to be in line for that. You know, you got an interim coach at, at Texas A&M with Elijah Robinson, who's a phenomenal coach and a defensive mind and defensive line coach that they may go after. You know, but it has to be someone with a footprint and ties, whether it's a former Penn State guy or a guy from up that way who understands the terrain because it's not easy to recruit. 
up there in a foot of snow up in Syracuse. You know, you're going to be bringing guys in in the summertime recruiting, you know, but it still get cold up there and guys understand that. So being able to recruit the whole coast, being able to nationally recruit, especially, especially down in those fertile grounds in Florida, you know, and still, you know, be able to play the style of football that's uh, that's um, been in that storied history of Syracuse is going to be key for whoever they pick. So, you know, I think, um, you know, um, they they did a pretty good job, but forty one to fifty five ain't, ain't gonna cut it, you know. And I and and that's the toughest thing, you know, going forward. But they got to find the right coaches. That's going to be a big splash. And this is a difficult year with so many big jobs open. Yeah, and see, and for me, when I think about this, just when you look at the entire land of the ACC or even college football as a whole, most of the names that get the attention are the head coaches or the coordinators that provide what a lot of points. A lot of flash. Yes. They're getting you 35. They get you 40 points a game. I mean, shoot, here in Los Angeles, we've had the LA Times take shots at Lincoln Riley. Yes. Because for all intents and purposes, he has failed to meet expectations. You know, yes. they had an 11-win campaign last season. They lose five of six this year. But he's a guy that lit the world on fire with Oklahoma. Comes out west. Defense can't stop a nosebleed. And his offense is stalled at times. But if you're Syracuse, not only do you need to bring a name in, you need to bring someone in that can call an offense and the recruiting aspect you mentioned as well. The component is that if you're a college kid or if you're going to be a college kid, you're 15, 16, or 17, am I more inclined to go to Texas or Florida or Florida State or North Carolina than I am to go to Syracuse? You know, right. That's the whole thing, right? If you're gonna If you're going to attract – recruits to Syracuse I feel like you're more inclined these days to go spread to go three four and five wide personnel and get those playmakers on the outside because you need a lot more flash almost in a kind of a way that Deion Sanders did did at Colorado you're going to have to do something extra special in order to bring top tier talent up to the northeast you know I think you're right but when you think about these offensive coaches and this is something that's very important um and I think it kind of happened at USC. Your offense has to play along with your defense. Yeah. So you can't put your defense out there. You know, you got to play a physical style at times. You got to be physical enough. And I think that's what Josh Heupel has learned at Tennessee. Yes, yeah. You got to play at a physical level because, you know, offense wins a lot of games, but defense wins championships. And that's always going to be the case. That's me speaking from as an offensive coach. I mean, you've yeah. got to be able to play a hard-nosed style of football. you got to be able to play a style of football that you can win 28-21, to 20-17. to 17. You've got to be able to do that, and that takes field position. That takes offense working together with defense and being able to run the football at times, you know, and that it still comes down to fourth and one. It still comes down to situational football. It still comes down to third and 10 on the 10-yard line in order to win games, and that, comes, that still leads back to defense, you know, to me. And uh, being able to control the clock, you know, it, I think defensively you can do that and put the, whoever has the ball the longest, it usually is the team that wins and you wear the other defense down. So, I mean, that's something that, you know, that's always going to be true in football. And, um, you know, I just think some of those, some of those defensive minded coaches understand that, that understand offense, right? You got to understand both sides of the ball, but you know, that's something that, that Nick Saban has done down at, at Alabama. He's always evolving. You know, and and trying to find ways, right, to generate explosive plays, right? But that physical running game and stopping the run is key. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I feel like 
that's a lost art in today's game, right? When it's third mm-hmm. and one or fourth and one, you got teams running out of shotgun or running yeah. out of pistol, as opposed to getting under center, three tight ends and a fullback and a tailback, and you just go right up the gut. I feel, I feel like right. it is so lost in today's game, and it's absolutely appalling, especially out here on, on the West Coast. Uh, Jay, it's great to catch up with you. Obviously, we need to uh, reconvene talking about dieting habits or lack thereof. We'll do so after the Thanksgiving holiday, but uh, good to see you as always. Week number 13 should be a, a good one. Uh, obviously, we got our attention right now on Louisville and, and Kentucky, and then, of course, all things with Florida State and Florida. So for Jay Graham, I'm David Gaskin. Thanks for watching Believe Inside the ACC. Have a good week.